Okay, so here's our walk, actually our sit. Uh, we haven't done this in a while, but uh, I came out here to certain green belt and this is not gonna work. Uh, me walking around there, there's gonna be just too much noise. So uh, there's a few points I wanted to cover in this little episode here. Uh, first, you know, we did one, a, a, a recent uh, episode on a BYU professor who is teaching about the gingerbread person. Sometimes it's called the, the gender bread person. Uh, and was bringing gender ideology and queer theory into the classroom in a family life science class at BYU. It's just another example of, of many, many others that we've already done. We've got a really interesting one coming up on Monday. And a lot of what I get back on this, and I've talked about this before, but it, it keeps happening, is people make comments on the video and say, fire them, right? Like, hey, fire them. Why, why is this teacher teaching here? And you've got to look, take a step back here and look at this. This is not about getting a scapegoat. This is not about finding someone and, and bringing out the torches and yelling, which, 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 right? That's, that's not going to do anything, nothing. That's not the point of any of this. See, if you get rid of those professors, they're just going to hire the same ones back. It's not an issue of some fringe professors. That's not the problem. The problem is systemic. The problem is in the hiring practices. The, the, the problem is in the direction that, frankly, that BYU has been going in trying to become the Harvard of the West. The problem is in accreditation. If you understand accreditation, look, the, the whole university has to be accredited under a certain accrediting organization. Well, they're with, a, you know, not the highest, but a higher end accreditation organization. And so they have to fulfill certain requirements to get accredited. And then you drop down from there and you look at the different schools, departments, they've all got to be accredited as well. And this is a process that happens every seven years. And so what happens is they'll come in, they go to a department, they say, let's see what you've done. Well, of course, the accreditation organization, one of the primary things they're going to look at is DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so they say, well, I see you've done a few things here. We want to see you do more. So, you know, maybe we'll give you the accreditation this time around, but here's what we'd like. They can't tell you what to do, but here's what we'd like to see you do in the next seven years before we come back and, and go through this process again? Or why don't you come together with some things on DEI that, uh, and gender ideology that will help improve things here uh, in those categories? And so, of course, then there's a push. And so the, the, the department head, the dean, Right, they're all looking at these things like, okay, well, we got to advance forward. We got to get these things done. We've got to, and what what is our the makeup of our professors? Right, what's their background? Well, maybe we need some people with some more DEI background, some some more um, identitarianism that has been that can be brought in here, especially in the humanities. So it's not just an issue of getting rid of a few professors. That that's not going to do squat. 
I mean, it might send a message, I suppose. I'm not saying it won't do anything. I shouldn't say it won't do squat, but it won't do what it needs to do. That's not the problem. So it's it's a much larger problem than than you know a few fringe professors, and it's not a few fringe professors. There are a lot of professors that are talking about these things and bring them up. Having said that, and I want to make this really clear because a lot of people come in and watch some of these BYU videos that I do, and they say they think that I'm attacking BYU. Yet I'm a huge BYU fan. I'm not attacking BYU. I'm attacking what's going on there. And it is a problem. And it is not just a few professors. There are a lot of professors and there are a lot of teachings there at BYU that are very, they're pernicious. There's no other way to look at it. They're pernicious. And, and then on a spectrum, you find them up to at least very suspect. But having said that, overall, most professors at BYU are, are great. They're fabulous. And they sacrifice a lot if they're really good. And, and uh, you know, they sacrifice a lot actually to be at BYU sometimes. They may get, you know, have other options where they could go elsewhere, but they want to be at BYU. Though there's, when I talk about the religion of academia, I'm talking about an ideology. I'm not talking about all of the professors. Now, at other universities, at some universities, sure, almost almost everyone at some, especially these liberal arts colleges, you're almost everyone is of the religion of academia, and and that becomes a calling card, almost a requirement these days to get a position. So please take a step back and look at this and say, okay, well, what is the problem is much larger. What I am trying to do, I'm not trying to get anybody fired. This is not about outrage. This is about, this is about awareness. This is about awareness. We need to be aware of what is happening there. If you have kids at BYU, grandkids at BYU, we need to understand as parents what these ideologies coming into the universities and into the schools, into K-12. It's got to start very early. We need to help inoculate the kids from these pernicious ideologies. And if you don't understand what they are, you're going to have a very hard time building up a defense system for this, for them. Very, very difficult time because it's coming in younger and younger and younger. I have read thousands of pages of K-12 curriculum within several states. It's horrendous. It is, it is horrendous. It is full of critical race theory. It's full of identitarianism, gender ideology, queer theory. It's everywhere. And, and now they're trying to really bring it in through mental health also and SEL. It's, it's, it's an all-out attack on each of us individually and on the families. We're going to get into that much more. We're doing another another episode next week on mental health. We've got a mental health professional who is a professor, has been a professor in teaching clinical psychology, and she's got some really interesting things to say about that industry. It's, it's a, it should be a very big concern for all of us as mental health is a, a larger and larger topic, as more and more people are seeking therapy. There's a problem there. there there's a real problem in that industry. Uh, secondly, I want to talk about just a couple of days ago, we had the episode on, uh, 
the culture war entering the church with Jacob Hess and Carol Rice. And they were great guests, fabulous, from Public Square magazine. And I just want to reiterate this. I've said it several times, but, you know, I'm not going to participate in the spiral of silence. You need to speak up as these things enter into your ward. It needs to be known that you're not just, that, 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 that a member of a, you know, that everyone in the Sunday school class isn't just going to sit back when things begin to be taught about breaking down the family or gender ideology or critical race theory. It's when those things start feeling uncomfortable, people need to speak up. That is not trying to be contentious. Let me give you an example of this. It's a pretty good one. His name is Jesus Christ. He didn't go around specifically trying to uh, uh, be contentious with an individual. But he called out the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes continually. He didn't care about the political oppressors. He didn't go after the Romans. He's, he's going after those that are internal. And, and he is speaking up with them. He talks about them. We should be witnesses of Christ in all places and at all times. That's what we are supposed to do. That will always cause conflict. And if you are conflict-averse, which most of us are, especially as Latter-day Saints in our culture, then it feels very uncomfortable. But you need to start feeling uncomfortable and, and, and speaking out. You don't try and cause a problem, but you stand with a testimony and a witness. It's... I had one commenter in that in that episode come back and say, no, you need to run away. Run away, run away. And he gave the example of Joseph with Potiphar's wife. There's evil there, and you're going to run away. No, that's not what's happening there. That is a temptation. He's walking away, running away from temptation. The last thing in the world he does is walk away from conflict. He tells the, the Pharaoh exactly what his dream means. He's not running away from conflict. And all of the prophets who prophesied of Jesus Christ, they are all in the middle of conflict constantly. Not because they are seeking conflict, not because they are seeking to be contentious. There's a difference. But they are preaching the gospel and they are standing up as witnesses of Christ. We take that on. You take on the name of Jesus Christ when you are baptized. What does that mean to you? Don't participate in the spiral of silence. I, it's interesting to me that in Lehi's dream, wonderful anchor I use all the time, you have, again, to me, the tree of life is the doctrine of Christ. I've gone over that before. So think about what's on the opposite side of that. The great and spacious building with the pointing fingers and shaming those that are standing at the tree of life. Are you going to are you going to walk away from the tree of life? No. Uh, Carol Rice in that last episode brought up the the quote from Julie Beck, which was, "Look, if anything is anti-family, it is anti-Christ." It's very interesting that. And by the way, my I talked I gave the example of my wife in that episode and her talk and 
and feeling a little bit strange as she gave the talk because it was about the family proclamation. I didn't realize this or didn't remember it, but that talk was actually on Julie Beck's talk where, where Carol Rice actually made this, takes this quote from. But isn't it interesting in the tree of life vision of Lehi and Nephi that Lehi, once he gets to the tree of life, what is he doing there? What is he seeking for? He's gathering his family. He's gathering his family at the tree of life, his family. And that is opposite of what is over on the other side of that river and that brimstone over at the great and spacious building. The doctrine of Christ with the tree of life is the doctrine of the family and vice versa. As Julie Beck says, if it's anti-family, it is anti-Christ. He's gathering his family at the tree of life with the doctrine of Christ. It is a temple vision, right? And you're gathering your family there. It's, it's eternal families. That's a temple vision. Lastly, I want to talk about the Terrell Givens interview with his son, Nathaniel Givens. They're both wonderful guests. We had a very good conversation on faith. Terrell Givens brought something up. Both of them were talking about how faith requires a cost. It, it, there, there's a cost of faith. It's not just a belief. And I believe that's true. And we've talked about the definitions of faith before. But Terrell Givens brought up something that, that I thought was very interesting. He talked about how it's not just the cost that faith requires, but it's the vulnerability. It's the risk. You have to be vulnerable with, with faith. That doesn't mean it's a blind faith. But again, if we go back and look at faith as trust, you're going to be vulnerable. As you create relationships with those around you, and you let them in closer and closer, especially familial relationships and, and close friends, well, they're the ones that can hurt you the most, right? They're, they're the ones that can hurt you the most. You're, they're the ones you're most vulnerable with. But, but they're the ones you're building the most trust with. It's the same thing with faith in God. Except that he's solid, right? He's always going to be there. He's always doing the right thing. But I, it made me think about, again, going back to Jonathan Haidt. He actually brings up Jonathan Haidt, but in a different way. Jonathan Haidt talks about safetyism and how in our time now, we, we, we've developed this parenting culture of safetyism where we can't let our kids, uh, we, we can't let our kids more than five feet away from us. And, and there's a helmet on them immediately. And, and we don't want them to fail in anything or get their feelings hurt in anything. And as they grow up, they, they don't have the tool set to deal with adversity. And, and it made me think about this, this what, what Terrell Givens was saying. There's almost kind of a, there's no vulnerability. There's a very, there's not enough vulnerability with the kids these days in that culture because we don't give it to them. And then, and then we're surprised if they have a harder time being vulnerable with faith in God. I think there's a connection there. I really do. Vulnerability with faith and safetyism in parenting. Think about that one. Thanks for watching.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio.